0: Hey everybody welcome back to the advancing man project podcast. Today I've got a special guest, a man that I met a few years ago at a ClickFunnels event. His name's Dan Henry. He is uh he's well known in the online marketing circles. His journey started out really rough, though. He was a pizza boy for seven years, at one point was selling water on the side of the road to pay his electricity bill. And today he's a very successful businessman, entrepreneur, coach to other entrepreneurs, Wall Street Journal, best-selling author, and he has accumulated over $30 million in sales for his company in the past few years. And he's also guided thousands of other people in starting their own multi million dollar ventures. He's got valuable insights for entrepreneurial growth. He's brutally direct, he's straightforward. And I actually first got to know him a little bit back when I joined the coaching program that he did in, I believe it was 2020. So, um, Dan, appreciate you having, uh, appreciate you being on the show. And um, let's get to, to talking about some fun stuff here, shall we?
1: Yeah man, I'm super excited to be on. We've known each other for a while and it's it's pretty cool to be on the show now.
0: Yeah, it's fun. So, what do you think just jumping straight into everything? What do you think are um the biggest misconceptions that people have about Dan Henry?
1: Well, that first of all, that's if you even know who Dan Henry is, which I don't expect <laughs> most people to know. Um but I think a big misconception about me if you have followed me is that I'm this wild and and crazy man, uh, that, well, I, I don't really know what the biggest misconception is, but pr- probably that I'm a mean guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's because I give direct advice and I don't hold back. And the reason for that is when I was growing up and this is just, this is just my experience. I had a lot of encouragement in my life. Even my grandfather, he always said you, you can be whatever you want to be as long as you put your mind to it. And all these people encouraged me and they were they were great for doing that. But I, I had big dreams, but I never knew how to like actually accomplish those dreams. And so I delivered pizza for seven years, listening to all this motivation, right? You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I got into the Tony Robbins stuff and all that. And eventually I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I get it. Y'all think, think I can do it but I'm not doing it. What the heck am I doing wrong? And so I started seeking out people who were just going to tell me as it is. And if I sucked, tell me that I sucked. Tell me why I sucked and just be like, Hey, this is why you suck. And then from there move on. And so I, I, I got that. I reached out to people that I knew would tell me straight. I, I one time worked for a company where the owner was a billionaire. It was a pitch man company. And, um, I got, a, it was at the same company where Billy Mays, the OxyClean guy first got started as a pitchman. I got a job there and I was pitching uh, cookware sets at like Sam's club and whatnot. And the owner who is a billionaire, I asked him, I said, Hey man, I want to get rich. You're rich. What do I do? And he, at first he's like, Oh, don't worry about that. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm serious. Like, like long-term, you know, how do I really get rich? And he looks at me and he says, well, let me ask you a question. Um, how many books per week do you read on money, on business, on entrepreneurship? And I was like, zero. And he goes, well, then you don't want to get rich. And I kind of like for a second got taken aback by that because it's the first time somebody was so direct with me. And he's like, listen, dude, he's like, you can't tell me that you want to get rich. And yet you're not reading a book a week or or any books on how to get rich because – there are so many books out there written by millionaires. And if you just sat your ass down and and got off of, uh, the, the television and just read the books, you, you don't think you'd make more money a year from now than you do right now. And I was like, wow, you're friggin' right. And that was such brutal advice. And I took it immediately. And, um, a year later I I told him I was quitting because I was making too much money in my digital marketing agency. Um, uh, or no, sorry. I was doing affiliate marketing. Uh, I was making too much money in affiliate marketing and I left and then I went on and, and did things from there. So, you know, from that point, I, I realized that, yeah, the encouragement is great. And I always try to encourage my audience. Hey, if I can do it, you could, I do all that. But at the end of the day, I find it much more useful to say, Hey, this idea that you have, it sucks. It's not going to work. Nobody in the market wants it. I'll give you an example for my YouTube channel. I just did a call with a guy, who was trying to sell animated explainer videos to businesses? And mm-hmm. I told him straight up, I'm like nobody buys that anymore. They bought that in 1998, maybe 2005. That's old. School. Nobody does that anymore. People are looking for authentic video. They're not looking for these cheesy little animated explainer videos. You you don't have a hot offer anymore. Like nobody wants what you're selling, dude. Um, mm-hmm. and you just gotta tell people that sometimes. Like, here's how you fix it. Stop the noise. Stop the BS. Stop all this, you know, we live in this soft world right now where you got to tiptoe around it and just say, look, this is what you're doing wrong. I know this because I have the data. Here's how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I just find that that's more, it might not be very empathetic, but it's more compassionate. You know, empathy Mm -hmm. is when you walk by somebody who has a a rock sitting on their chest and they're like, "Uh," and you're like, oh, my God, that must feel terrible. And then you keep walking. Compassion is where you come, you grab the rock, you get it off the person so that they can breathe again, and you go, "Hey, moron, how the hell did you get in this situation?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I, I'm a, I am not an empathetic person. I'm a compassionate person. Yeah.
0: What was the first book that you read after that guy gave you the, that advice? Do you remember? Um,
1: I I don't, but I can tell you it was uh, probably Forty Eight Laws of Power mm. was one of the first ones. Um, you know, I was getting into the wider books before I ended up getting into like the more nitty gritty marketing books, Sure. but 48 laws of power was a big one. I read the four hour work week, you know, the normal stuff we yeah. read. Yeah. Um, and back then you had to actually read it. You couldn't summarize it or use AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We didn't even have audio books back then.
0: Yeah. Back in the old days. Um, yeah. so what do you think are the core fundamental principles or elements of of being successful?
1: Oh, well, I can tell you it's three things. Number one, it's the ability to uh, have delayed gratification, meaning you're willing to put in a ton of work for a, at least a decent period of time with no reward, no immediate reward. And that will then give you a reward at some point, which you can then build on. The problem Is society has set us up to fail today because everything is engineered for us to get an instant reward you want a dopamine hit just look and see who liked your post on facebook you want uh you hungry uber eats you want to get somewhere uber everything is instant today and so people get programmed to expect an instant result so when you're an entrepreneur or you're trying to be successful And you start doing things and they don't give you an immediate reward. Our brains automatically go, Oh, something is wrong. You're not doing it right. Quit do something else. But in reality, you have to do that thing for a while in order to get the data you need to make it work. And that is why it makes no logical sense to quit. Because when you say I'm going to quit, what you're really saying is I have all this data on what doesn't work. And I'm just going to throw it away. And in order to do the thing that works and figure it out, you need that data and you're just giving it away. And so number one is the ability to delay gratification. Number two is consistency. The, the ability to say you're going to do something and do it consistently. Now, most people, they really don't understand consistency, right? They think that consistency means or, or, or we, we we as humans, we often think consistency means, oh, I, I do it enough when it's convenient. But in reality, it's never convenient. Somebody's always getting married. uh You're always going to get a cold here and there. Things happen. Life gets in the way. That is life. So consistency means you consistently do the thing, even if the conditions are not ideal, even if it's a bad time, because it's always a bad time. So remaining consistent. And then finally, focus. And again, focus is something that most people, we don't understand automatically. And Steve Jobs said it best, focus is not what you choose to do with your time, it's what you choose not to do with your time. Which means useless conversations with your friends. Like I have friends that I've been friends with for 15 years. And to this day, I get texts from them with a uh, a funny meme or something. I don't respond to it. Why? Why am I going to sit there and take time out of my day to respond to your dipshit meme you sent me? <laughs> like, what are you? What are you doing that you're you're, you're finding these things and se- you know, I, I don't engage in stupid behaviors like that. And so, focus is saying I'm not going to go out to dinner with you unless there's something to talk about that's going to enrich both of our lives per- personally, professionally, or spiritually. I'm not going to hang out for no reason. I'm not going to answer you and say, oh, that's a funny meme because there's no purpose. There's no purpose to it. Okay. So focus is about taking all the crap that we do as humans every day. That means nothing. And just saying no to it. So we can focus on the things that matter delayed gratification, consistency, and focus. You do those three things and, 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 and and you're going to win. And then of course there's always the, well, how do I get over my own emotional BS to be able to do those things? Well, that's another story, but those right. are the three things that are going to make you successful.
0: Um, a lot of the, the audience that I have for this show is in the, uh, their dads and they, a lot of them are dads with young kids. You have a son, Bruce, he's, mm-hmm. is he five or six?
1: He's like five and, a half.
0: five and a half, Yeah. Um, same age as my son, my son just turned five back in October. And, um, those are really good core fundamental principles of success, not just in business, but like if you if we were going to talk about uh, you know working out fitness. Uh, I know you're yeah. a jiu-jitsu guy. You know any 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 area like that. Any area what, of life. Yeah. What fund What are your fundamental principles around being a father specifically?
1: I have a most people would consider me a very weird father. Um, I don't take the nor I don't take the approach my dad took. I I don't take the normal approach. My number one rule is dad. And I'm not a perfect dad. Okay. B- believe it or not, there are times just the other day where, uh, I'll, 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 I'll be vulnerable here. And I'll tell you, my wife and I went out to this, um, place called coffee and kids. And it's a place where the parents sit around and drink coffee. And there's this big play area with like a little mini soccer field and all this cool stuff for the kids to play. So the kids go and play, the parents sit there and drink coffee and chat, or they're on their laptops. Right? So, we take him there, and me and my wife sit down. We open our laptops, and I'm working on something I was scripting a YouTube video or something like that. My wife was working on something for her religious studies, and Bruce is out there playing and in my head, I'm like, "Oh, okay, this is all normal." Well, my wife says to me, "You know what Bruce said to me the other day?" and she's like and i'm and I'm like, what?" and he says he said he wished." that he had a parent that would play with him when they took him to the park. And I was like, what? I was like, he said that. And you know, in my head, I didn't realize that it, it just didn't register, you know, like I'm seeing all these kids out there. I'm thinking, cause when I was a kid, I was like super independent. I'm like, you know, F off. I want to go do my own thing. So I just naturally assumed that we're going to sit there on our laptops and he's going to, um, uh, play with the kids. But apparently in his mind, he really wanted, and I, and I do notice that he doesn't really care too, too much about other kids. He more cares about his parents, which is very odd because I was not the same way. <laughs> um, and so I, I looked at my laptop and I thought, okay, I could sit here for the next hour and work on this YouTube script. And I look over at my son and he's on the soccer field and there's no one in the soccer field. Cause it's, it's hard for him because nobody speaks English here and obviously he doesn't speak Spanish yet. And I see him playing with himself in the soccer thing, kicking the ball around. And I look at the YouTube script and I'm like, you know what? This can be done later. Absolutely it can be done later. I'm not, my net worth is not gonna go down. And if it did, it would be minuscule, I'm good. So I close the laptop I say to my wife, why didn't you tell me that, right? But I, I, I close the laptop, I get up and I go out and I play soccer with him for probably 30 to 45 minutes. And then some other kids come in and they start playing with him. And then I was like, well, I don't want to be the weird adult playing with all these kids. So I bow out and he's now he's playing with the kids. Um, and it's like little moments like that, where when I was first starting my company, I, I, I probably would have stayed on my laptop. And I've just realized that at the end of the day, man, look, I've, I've had the nice cars. I have nice, co- you know, I've, I've had a yacht. I've had mansions um it it doesn't really it's more fun to get the mansion than it is to live in the mansion you know and I've realized through self-reflection that I like the journey more you know I like the journey more and so I just don't put as much weight into those things anymore and I, I try to spend more time with my son with my wife because when I go to sleep at night if I'm a bad father I can't sleep if I lost money I can completely sleep because I know I can make it back.
0: Right. You don't get that time back with the kid at that age.
1: No, you can get money back. You can't get time back.
0: Yeah. And, and as far as like the journey and like, yeah, you say you had the yacht, you had the mansion, um, and, and that's great, but having the kid in my experience and tell me if this is yours as well is every single day is another step on that journey of, of, Being a dad, it's not like you get a kid and now you're done. Like, like you you know, you see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like every day there's there's some new thing, there's some new joy, there's some new piece of development that's happening with my kid where I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. You know, there's a little bit more awesome that stacks on top of it every single day. Whereas, like if if you're just chasing stuff, yeah, okay, you get a great car now it's sitting in the garage and you can drive it when you want to, but the thrill disappears. I guess is the best the best way to say it. it sort of dissipates over time, but. Yeah. for for me, especially with, uh, with my son, um, every single day, there's some new adventure. There's some new thing. There's some new point of connection that I get to have with him. And that's, that's what it's all about to me. So, um, I, I love that you closed the laptop and went and played soccer. That was awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look when I, I I didn't grow up having much. And so I saw people that had a lot and I wanted to have what they had. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because I find that sometimes we end up doing things, but we, we discover something else about ourselves in the process. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, um, I didn't have a girlfriend, and I was kind of socially awkward. And so I came up with this ingenious plan to meet girls. I thought, I'll, I'll learn to play guitar. And if I learn to play guitar, I can meet girls. Mm-hmm. So I go to a pawn shop. I get a guitar. And I didn't even care about the guitar. I just wanted to meet chicks. So I get the guitar, and I start playing it. And the second I heard the vibration, <laughs> I fell in love. And over the next two years, I obsessed over the guitar, played in bands, all that. And I didn't talk to a single girl because I was right. too busy playing guitar. And <laughs> so it's like, what, what I find interesting about my journey, and maybe some people can relate to this, is I started out because I wanted a better life for my wife, a better life for my family. I wanted nicer things. But as I, I got into this, I realized that like what I really like is creating something whether it's free whether it's paid whatever putting it out there and seeing people enjoy it seeing people either laugh at it get entertained by it make money from it or even get offended by it react to it in some way engage with it in some way because when i was younger i wanted to be a famous rock star and that didn't work out for me but i just i was able to simply find a different stage and on that stage, I can shine. And so sometimes we get it in our heads that we want to be amazing and we just don't, we, we have a talent, but we're, we're not on the right stage, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're, if you're really good at, at rapping, you shouldn't be in a metal band, you know, well, unless you're maybe like,
0: no, those, no you, you
1: know, hy- you, hybrid you, metal no, bands.
0: No, no, you, you still shouldn't be in a metal band. You, you're, you're right. right. <laughs> you're right. You still
1: shouldn't. I agree with you, but. But the point is, is that most of us have an unfair advantage in life, something about us that we're really good at. And the tragedy for most people is that they grow up their whole lives and they try to accomplish something that they don't have an unfair advantage as and they don't use their edge. They don't use their unfair advantage. And so they go through life thinking that, They have nothing thinking that they can't excel in anything when in reality is they simply didn't use the superpower they were given because they didn't explore enough to find it. And for me, what was key was exploring enough of me to find what I was truly good at. And it was something that I never thought possible. Um, A lot of it's speaking. You know, I used to have an issue with speaking when I was younger where I would and I still do it. You might notice it. I repeat myself a lot. I'll say something and then I'll say the same thing like three times and I'll kind of ramble. And I've really struggled to make what I say more concise. And now, even though I'm still not great at it, I've ended up making millions of dollars speaking from stage, which is something I never thought I would have been able to do because I was the worst communicator when I was younger. But I developed that superpower and here we are.
0: That's cool. I uh there's a lot of parallels between our, our stories. I too was um wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid, um, played professionally for a while. Um, and I too had issues speaking when I was a kid. When I was when I was really young, like not really super young, but like when I was in middle school, elementary school, I had this terrible, terrible stutter. And so I would get picked on and stuff every book report day. And <laughs> then and and then I go on to become a performing strongman and keynote speaker. So I, I like that yeah. idea of of taking. It's not even that it's that it's a weakness and then turning it into a strength, but it's like like you said, an untapped superpower. There's something in there that there is that that can there's be, always something. You just like you said, just have to find the right stage to put it on. So, um, I like that. It's good stuff. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and and talk a little bit about specifics around parenting and dad life and stuff how do you personally handle moments when you get angry or frustrated or or things aren't going the way that you want them to when you're having interactions with bruce
1: i think if you're a dad and you don't admit to the fact that sometimes you get impatient with your kid Mm -hmm. and then you maybe freak out a little bit you're lying i think every dad has that And it's difficult because the kid, you know, the kid doesn't know any better. Uh, Or maybe he does, but he's just, he's just a kid. And you have this expectation of him because he's your son, he's your blood. And, you know, you want him to have this ability or talent or whatever that you deem worthy as a father. It's like a natural Mm -hmm. thing. And so you set this expectation and sometimes that expectation is either too high or it's an expectation that doesn't really apply to your kid. And you got to find what he's good at, you know. So maybe my kid is not good at ABC, but he's good at XYZ. And so as a father, one thing that I I, I realize is you got to instead of trying to say, "Hey, son, be good at ABC," you have to find out what his XYZ is and then encourage him to be better at that thing. Um, And for my kid, you know, my kid reads at a high level, he's doing second grade homeschool work, where he's only five. Mm-hmm. Um, He understands things good. He's always running around copying me, he's running around, we got him a little camera thing, and he's making videos and stuff. And <laughs> he's good at talking. And so he did get that from me. And so I always encourage him to to, to work hard to, to do all that. But, but more specifically, I try not to impose things on him that are just in my head. I try to discover where he shines and then try to shine the light on that more. That's
0: wonderful. That's good stuff. Um, we both have sons and we both are men. Um, and there is, it's you're what 35, 36,
1: somewhere around in there. 37, 37,
0: (laughs) dude, dude, I'm 54. So, and we have children the same age. So think through that one for a minute. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. Your kid will be out of school by the time you're my age, you know, or graduated or moved on maybe out of the house. So, so it's all good. Um, but I'm thankful for that because there are things that 50 year old me understood that 25 year old me would have just never known. So it's, it's all good. Um, but as men who are raising boys that we want to become good men, um, let's talk about masculinity and the concept of masculinity and misconceptions around masculinity in the world that we live in now. I know that a lot of the stuff that I see from you on social media um, has a very definite point of view on that, and um, I want to hear I want to it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Let's, let's talk about masculinity itself and how it applies to being a dad.
1: If you want your son to be masculine, you cannot let him take advice from the media, the formal education system, or the government. Because all three of these institutions, number one, don't understand masculinity, and they're trying to make your kid more feminine. Now, we can speculate as to why. I mean, there's all these crazy theories, population control, uh, making men weak so that the we can take over, you know, the, the pandemic maybe was a test to see how much they can control us, whatever your theory is. But at the end of the day, masculine means that you, well, it means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that you are okay by yourself without the validation of others. It means that you do what needs to be done. Even if you don't get credit for it, it means you don't let Other things bother you as long as you're okay with yourself. So if I tell you, hey, you having a bad day, you know what? It's cool. Call yourself a girl. And if everyone around you doesn't call you a girl as well and doesn't think like you do, then you have permission to freak out, scream, act in a horrifying way, and exhibit incredibly toxic and unstable behavior. And that's okay because they should be respecting the thing that you made up in your head. That is not masculine. Masculine would be, hey, you do what you wanna do because men do what they wanna do. And if somebody doesn't like it and they don't agree with it, that's fine. If you're okay with it, you don't need them. You don't need their validation. You don't need them to tell you that you are this or that. You know you are, and that's good enough for you that's being a man that's being masculine. And another example is, you know, your buddies come to you and they say, Hey, we're all going drinking. You coming?" and you say, no, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to read a friggin' book. And they say, Oh man, don't be a pussy. Come on, bro. Don't be a nerd. Let's go drink for you to say. Oh, uh, okay, I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be a man and I'll go drink. There's no difference between that and freaking out that somebody doesn't think you're a girl when you clearly have a penis. Okay. At the end of the day, a man will say, Hey, you know what? I don't want to drink. And a man does not do what he doesn't want to do. A man does not let other people pressure him into doing something he doesn't want to do. A man does what he wants to do. And so I think that we have a profound misunderstanding of masculinity both on the 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 bro side of things and on the rainbow whatever side of things and that's what that's what i think if you want your kid to be a man you teach him to be a man because if you put him in school whether he's a dude or a girl or a tree or a number he's not going to be masculine
0: coming off of that I think we can agree that, uh, being the positive role model that our son needs us to be showing them the way to be is, is vital, right? So, um, how do you Dan Henry define being a positive role model in your own words?
1: Man, that's the friggin' hardest thing. It's, it's so hard to be a good role model for your kid, especially Mm -hmm. when you work from home, because, you know, you're dealing with things as an entrepreneur, you're dealing with things that most people don't have to deal with. And there's times when you get stressed and you get pressured and you freak out. If you're at the office doing that, your kid doesn't see it. You come home, you collect yourself. You can be a positive role model for your kid. But as a as somebody who's like an entrepreneur, especially somebody who makes money from home or works from home, it's hard because they'll end up seeing your worst moments sometimes because they're always around. Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle I have is my kids always around. And so sometimes when I just don't have, you know, I lose my cool over something, which, you know, it happens to all of us. They, he sees that and, and it, it friggin kills me. I don't want him to see that. I want him to see his dad handling it, you know, mm-hmm. but we can't handle it every second of every day. We we would be perfect if we did that. And so I think it's important to, have that space to allow you to be human as a dad and make mistakes um, and not always have your kid having eyeballs on it. But at the same time, when you do make that mistake, when you do uh, show up for your kids, not in the best way, you take the time to explain to your kid, Hey, listen, daddy shouldn't have done that. Here's why daddy did that. He failed at, uh controlling his emotions here's how he should have handled that and the lesson to learn here is that we can't win all the time but what's important is we define what is winning and we strive for that and if you you frame it that way i think i think that's important um if you make a mistake don't ignore it explain to your kid why it was a mistake and i think that teaches your kid that we're we're, we're all imperfect and we can strive to be better but it 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 is really tough if your kid's always around if 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 they're not, I think you have a you have a much better situation,
0: <laughs> yeah. you can you can compartmentalize for sure. i'm I'm in the same position. i um my wife and I both work from home. She's a photographer, runs her business from home. I do what I do from home. And um one of the things that that I vowed to do when we found out we were going to have a child was, um, drawing on some of the old uh, metaphysical writings around wealth and stuff from the early 1900s, the science of getting rich, Wallace Waddles, who wrote that, talks about the impression of increase, which is what modern marketers would would probably refer to as just over delivering. Right? If if you give me a hundred dollars of, then I am morally obligated by my own oath to provide at least a thousand dollars worth of value to you. Right? And that's that's sort of the the premise behind that and I thought how does that apply to being a dad and I set a goal for myself or an expectation for myself that in every single interaction that I have with my son I'm going to find a way to leave him somehow better off than he was before that interaction And sometimes that's just a high five when he's done something well sometimes that's that's being there when he's upset and like letting him be upset and get through that but you, yeah. you talking about making a mistake and, and really you're talking about owning a mistake and personal accountability is, is what that comes down to. I had a situation and I've talked about this before, but I, you may not know about it. I, um, my dad passed away in 2020 and not last year, but the year before. So what was that 22, um, on my dad's birthday, I was, I was feeling it right. And I'm, I'm sitting around and I'm kind of sad and I'm kind of bummed out about it. And my son starting to pick up on things, asked me says, daddy, why does your face look like that? And I'm, what does my face look like? And he says, he looks at me, kind of examines me and says, well, you look sad. And I had a, I had a moment where I wanted to push back against that. And I'm like, I can just say, no, I'm fine going. It's you know, no big deal. Daddy's fine or whatever. But, but I instead chose to tell him why. And I said, well, today's my daddy's birthday and he's gone and he'll never get to know you. And just, you know, spend about a minute, 90 seconds, just laying it all out. It's what I was feeling. And by the time I'm done, I got tears streaming down my face, you know, I'm snot and all of that stuff. And he just looks at me and goes, Oh, okay. And goes on about his business. Right. <laughs> and, and I realized after the fact that what I did there was model for him, what it looks like for a grown man who's experiencing grief to express that in a healthy way. So I own yes. that spot and like, like, and, and there was, there was pushback, you know, because, Because I was brought up in the era of boys don't cry, and my parents didn't do that, but just societally that was a thing is you're not supposed to cry if you're a boy. And I decided that that's not the kind of son that I want to raise, and so I'm actually grateful for moments like that. I'd love to hear it. Yeah,
1: tell me something. I'll give you my take on that. Masculinity is not teaching men to not show their emotions. It's teaching men to not let their emotions affect their performance. You can show your emotions, you can admit to your emotions all day long, but it's when you let those emotions affect your ability to perform as a man. Now we're going into not being masculine, but I don't believe that being honest about what you feel is non-masculine. Yeah. Um, However, there, I will say this, and I'm not saying I, I like the fact that this is true. I will say this women tend to, dis, to not respect you when you show your emotion. They'll sit there all day long and they'll tell you, oh, I want a man that'll cry. I want a man that'll share his emotions. Men need, and they'll they'll advocate it, they'll, they'll get in the streets and they'll hold up signs and they'll say, let men, you know, men need to be more in touch with their emotions. But I promise you, the second you start showing those emotions too much, women don't respect you as much. And it's not, it, it's literally down to the core, like, evolution women look for men that can keep them safe because that's what they've been doing for thousands of years if a woman feels safe with you and a woman feels like you can protect her she's going to look for the strongest male why do you think women go after a lot of young girls they go after bad boys and they oh, i don't know why i just like bad boys it's because they assume in their brain that a bad boy is most fit to protect them all right and they don't even realize this this is this is Thousands of years of evolution in, in 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 psychology, but they want to go after the stronger male. So while I do agree that as a man it's okay to show your emotions, I would still say be cautious showing them too much around your your female partner because if you if you do it too much, doesn't matter what they say, they will not respect you as much as a man that can keep themselves together. Okay, now I don't think crying over your father one day out of the year meets that criteria. but if you're one of these dudes who's always constantly hard on their, you're not going to get as much respect from women. That's just not how women's brains work.
0: I see what you're saying. and um, tying that back to a point that you said earlier, I think that I think that needing the respect of a woman, can be you can go too far down that road as well, and then it becomes yeah. it becomes Simple. like because like you said earlier, a man doesn't do what he doesn't want to do. So, uh, are we defined by by how respected we feel by a woman, or are we defined by our own self respect? And that's that's well, a, obviously an individual. Well, well, that, right? That's
1: a nice way to make a philosophical argument on it. But at the end of the day, if you're with a woman and she does not respect you, your life is going to suck. Like it, it just is what it is. And there are certain things that if you do, the woman will lose respect for you. And one of those things is showing, uh, showing your emotions too much. Because when you show your emotions too much, it does affect your performance. A woman wants to know that you can perform, that you can hold down the fort, handle the house, protect, provide. And if you're always crying and freaking out and being emotional, most women will view that as a sign of weakness, okay, if it's too much. And they won't respect you, and they'll start treating you like someone not worthy of respect. They'll speak to you poorly. They won't let you lead, et cetera, et cetera. And you can argue with this all day long. I've seen it. Um, I've experienced it myself. You have to maintain a balance between being vulnerable, but also being strong enough to not let that vulnerability affect your performance. If you want to, if you want to keep that respect from your woman,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I think we're saying the same thing, just coming at it from different angles there.
1: Yeah. Now. And again, obviously, if you get friggin, you know, cancer and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to die in three months and I really don't feel good about it. At that point, you know, there's an exception. Like, I'm sure the woman would, you know, but on a normal, everyday basis, if you're always like, oh, my God, my emotions, the woman's not going to respect you, plain and simple, because you're not. 're not being a man because you're letting that vulnerability and you're letting those emotions affect your performance which is a completely different thing than sharing
0: yeah totally totally you made a post the other day um we're we're recording this in the wake of uh Russell Wrestlegate. <laughs> you made a post the other day that uh oh, that said that people's obsessions with what Russell Brunson did was why they were or why they were broke or whatever and they need to get back to work and I just chuckled at that because I agree with you completely um but something you said a minute ago about like allowing emotions to control your your ability to perform um I don't even know what the what it's about but I keep seeing things pop up in social media feed that apparently NFL fans are mad about Taylor Swift or something like that and and they're all upset and they're in arms about it and and I'm like Uh, Just like you said earlier, like about the meme, I'm like, this is not worthy of me paying attention to, but like, how unmanly is it to allow a a, a very successful, very talented songwriter, whether, whether you like her music or not, she's, she's made her mark in the industry, whatever she's doing in public with a very successful, very talented athlete. If you're allowing that situation of these two people that you don't know and that they, they they don't know you and they don't care about you, and you're allowing that to control your emotional state to the point that that you're on social media um, doing recreational outrage complaining, how unmanly is that? That's, that's the thought that I had uh, from what you said earlier. So good stuff.
1: If you're a man and you take any time to complain about Taylor Swift or any of these pop culture situations and you are broke, you got serious problems. And that is the unmanliest thing I can ever think of. You are literally struggling financially. You are trying to build your castle. You are trying to fortify your kingdom and build your wealth. But you're now taking some time to argue and complain about something with some pop star or Like that to me is the most feminine, emasculated thing I can think of. If you're a man and you take time to do that, unless you are already rich and you're just looking for ways to waste your time, you are unmanly. You're not a man. You're not, you're acting like a chick because you're literally saying, I'm going to spend my time complaining about something that has zero value, that means nothing, that is the lowest form of information, the lowest possible thing you could spend your mental real estate thinking about. And you're going to think about that instead of how to make money, how to build your wealth, how to build your body, how to build your future, how to protect for your wife, your kids, future wife and kids, whatever. But instead you're arguing about Taylor Swift, whatever. Okay. That right there is a perfect example of how we have feminized men. I can't think of a greater example. I'll get even, off, get to work. Shut up about it. Who cares? It's a pop star. Okay, like who cares? That that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, and I'll even take it one step further from that. Masculine versus feminine. Everything you said makes sense. It's it's. I don't know grown women that would do that though. You know that is like such a. Uh, my son is five, and when he gets upset, it's the end of the world. You know, and and as as parents, we've. We've all been through that. You know, I didn't want my banana cut up. I wanted you to peel it and hand it to me, you know, or I wanted to peel it myself. And they have this this big emotional bit of disappointment kind of thing that happens and they recover from it. To me, the kind of stuff that we're talking about with Taylor Swift or or anything like that is on par with a child having a tantrum over whether the yeah. banana was cut. Was- or You know, it just it just it shows that it's an, a man
1: men who stop maturing at age five are the ones who are arguing about taylor swift online that's the truth
0: that's a soundbite right there <laughs> that is that is a fact um but yeah. but to that point let's 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 bring it back around um to the kids again um how do you 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 mentioned earlier like closing up the laptop and going to play in soccer which was a beautiful beautiful thing and i'll tell you the truth a little bit of a tear to my eye when you when you said that. so um so that's awesome. But how do you, how do you let Bruce know that his voice and his opinions matter, even at the age of, of five or younger than that? Cause I, I see so many parents who don't take the time to connect with kids and they just expect, you know, it's kind of like a, a, the old children should be seen and not heard thing, but, but they're humans. They're, they're full people. And you know, our job is to guide them and to, to help them. So like I tell my son, you have a voice, your opinion matters in his family. And, and when we decide say we're going to go out to eat, all of us talk about it. My wife, my son, and I all decide together where we're going to go. And we include him in decision-making processes for stuff like that. I want him to know that, that his voice matters. So how do you handle that sort of stuff?
1: Well, I think I can handle it better. Um, because sometimes with how fast-paced our life is, I'm not – I don't – the first thought that comes to my mind isn't let's discuss with my five-year-old where he wants to go, you know, um, unless we're going somewhere for him. If we're going somewhere for him, I just ask him where he wants to go, and, and we go. But if it's – like, for instance, we were talking about we're, – we're taking a trip to Dubai for a month, and – um He's like, oh, let's go to this country and that country and let's go over here. Let's go to Saudi Arabia and Israel. I'm like, no, nah, you know, let's not do that. Um, but now that you say it, I did sit down and I explained to him like, hey, buddy, we have this much time. We're not going to be able to go here. I did give him a reason why. And he accepts it. Like he doesn't argue. He's like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think I could probably work on the whole thing that you said where you you make him aware that his opinion matters. Um I like that. I think that's something I should include more of. But I do tend to, when I say no, th- this is, how I, this is how, how I handle saying no to my kids, how I say no to my kid. I, I tell him no, but then I tell him why I'm saying no. And I explain to him so that he can come to the same conclusion that I came to. Because if I just tell him no, now he might walk away thinking, dad hates me. Mm -hmm. My life sucks, whatever. But if I tell him why, then now I've given him something to chew on and I've taught him honestly how to make decisions, which if you really think about it, what is the best skill you can teach your kids? It's how to make good decisions because every other aspect of life, every other category of life will all work out if you just learn to make good decisions. How many people wake up in the morning, they go to work they hate their job, they don't make enough money, they come home, and then they watch Netflix for the rest of the night, and then they complain and bitch online that they're poor. It's like, dude, you made a terrible decision. You took the rest of your evening and you wasted it watching Netflix when you could be reading a book every night on how to acquire a skill, how to make money, et cetera. And a year from now, you're gonna make a lot more money than you did when you started. So really, you're not poor because you know, something bad happened to you, you're poor because you made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And so if you teach kids, and that's, that that doesn't go for everybody, obviously, but that goes for most people. Most people are poor because they make bad decisions of no other reason. And so if you teach your kids to make good decisions, those negative consequences in life, I think, will not manifest as often as they would if you don't teach your kid how to make good decisions.
0: I agree completely. And I think that at the core of teaching the skill of making good decisions, especially with really young kids like we have, is teaching them the skill of emotional regulation and understanding just because you feel like throwing the toy across the room, there are consequences to that. Just because you feel like this yeah. is the end of the world. Um, and, and I think that, that so often, we see parents that just want to shut that down because they're not comfortable with the kid being upset. They're not comfortable with the kid crying. They're not comfortable with, with the kid asking why, or, or, you know, pushing back against the decision that's made. It's just a, it, it, it becomes a, because I said so situation, which is a really good way I think to teach a kid how to not question authority and become an employee for someone somewhere.
1: Yeah. You got, but you gotta, it's hard to remember that every single interaction you have, you have dozens or even hundreds of interactions with your child every day. Mm -hmm. little ones, little micro interactions. And you got to constantly reevaluate. I view it like system thinking. So if you view being a dad as systems thinking, you can improve as a dad rapidly because you can say, okay, the experience happened. That's one point of the triangle. I did an action. That's the other point of the triangle. The result, the output happened. That's the other point of the triangle. So when something happens, And i react to it in a certain way i can then evaluate what happened as a result of that reaction and then the next time that situation happens i can take that data and i can improve and every time i start moving through this uh this triangle system it gets better and better and better and that's called systems thinking right you 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 have a process you give it an input process it outcomes and output you analyze it and then you can now improve the process put the input in again boom, boom, boom. That's how you grow a business. That's how you make a product better. That's how you make content online better. That's how you can be a better dad. And so sometimes what'll happen is I'll interact with my child and then, you know, I'll, I'll react a certain way. And then I'll think, I could have done that better, you know? And Mm -hmm. then I'll either go back to him and re-explain myself or I'll just wait for the next situation to happen. And I'll try to do that. And I'll be honest with you, you know, when I, when we had our kid, I was not ready for a kid. Um, I wanted to have a kid years later and it kind of came by surprise. And so I really wasn't ready to be a dad. I didn't know anything about being a dad. When my kid was born, I wasn't, I was like, ah, uh, you know, I wasn't like it was, I had, I had trouble. Um, like I had that feeling of protection. Like I really felt like protecting him. Like if anybody got near him, i throw him out of a window kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't like, Oh my God, this little kid, it was just like, it's a blob of a human. I don't know what to do with it. But as Mm -hmm. time goes on, I, 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 I get more into my kid, you know? And I think also when he gets a little older as a dad, you know, I remember the first time he caught a ball, I threw him, I was like, my mind exploded i was like this is a whole <laughs> new world now right like i can throw a ball and my child will catch it like it's like a new level and i think yes. as you unlock those new levels as a dad it gets easier but when they're really young it's hard because that's like the like and my wife's very understanding she's like listen let me just take care of the kid the first five years you 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 do your thing you you, you be around and, and whatever but i know you're not going to be interested you know, as much as when he's older. So I'll I'll do the majority of the taking him to the parks and the playing with him and stuff. And, but she mainly says that cause she knows I got a lot of work, mm-hmm. but as time went on, I played with him more and more and more. I get into it more. I loved playing soccer with him. Like the fact that, and he's good. Like I would kick a ball and he'd friggin' stop it. Like he, I couldn't make a goal. Like it was good. Um, unless I like, you know, beamed it at him. But right. Uh, so I just I just think it, uh, systems thinking is great for being a dad because you just don't get so down on yourself if you make mistakes. Just evaluate what you did, do it better next time, and just follow that process each time, and you'll be a better dad in three months than you could ever imagine. But if you sit there and beat yourself up about the time you yelled at your kid because you lost your cool and you could have handled it better, you're just going to sit there and sulk. You're not going to improve. You're not going to improve. it.
0: Yeah, I am. Um my background in fitness and, and movement and all that sort of stuff. I had a very, that, that, that catch the ball experience that you had. I had a very similar experience to that when my son rolled over for the first time, because knowing a bit of, of about how the nervous system develops in the, you know, the, um, uh, what's it called? The proprioception, um, and and the vestibular system and and the body becoming aware of where it is in time and space rolling over that first time that they learn how to roll over is this huge event that i understood that and so i was just i was beside myself started crying i was like all over the place i'm like yes this is the greatest thing ever and then like you said each successive time that a milestone like that is hit like we we put him in t-ball last year and he's he's just being in it and just you know, got a really strong arm and and he runs really fast and it's just, it's cool to see that, that unfold that way. It's such a simple
1: thing, right? Like he yeah. runs fast, like that's such a simple thing. But when your dad and you see your little yeah. thing that came out of your, your pecker start running across yeah. the soccer field, you're like, wow, yeah. you're like, oh my God, my sperm is running towards the goal. <laughs> like, you know, it's just yeah. an am- it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing.
0: And, and to, to, to that point, we do a thing in February, we started doing it last year that each day leading up to Valentine's Day, we take a, cut out a little heart and we write something on it about him and we stick it to the wall near his little place where he has his desk where he draws and, and writes and stuff. And the first one that we did today, we said, uh, um, you are kind and we stuck that up there because we always stress kindness. Um, and I asked him, is there anything that you want us to write on there? And he said, mm, tomorrow, can you say that I'm fast? And I'm like, yes, we can. Yes, we absolutely can. Um, but that whole thing comes from since since he was born, um, I've been telling him. And as he got verbal, he started being able to, to do it himself. I've been telling him what I call his I am's. And the way that wound up playing out in, in a fun story is when he was probably three and a half, we were at the playground. He climbs up to the top of a slide and he's getting ready to go down. it. it was new. He'd never done it before. And he, he gets this look on his face, this like look of fear. And I'm like, what is it, kiddo? And he's like, I feel nervous, daddy. My stomach feels jumbly. And I'm just, okay. And he thinks about it for a second. And he says, is it okay if I say my I am's? I mean, he's three. He didn't put it quite that eloquently, but he says, can I say my I am's? And I said, sure. And he just rattles it off. I'm smart. I'm strong. I'm brave. I'm kind. I can do anything. And then he zips down the, the slide and we double high five. And it was just, it was amazing. And I'm like, it's it's the consistency thing that you were talking about earlier, right? Like if I had not for hundreds of days consistently been whispering that in his ear at bedtime or pointing it out to him that when he when he climbs up on the couch and jumps off, yeah, you're brave and that was awesome that you did that and so just reinforcing that that kind of encouragement that is not just oh you're you're a wonderful little boy you know the kind of encouragement you were talking about earlier but like useful encouragement you can take these qualities that we've been talking about and you can apply them to to doing things and making things and being who you want to be so um that's that's kind of my take i think encouraging a
1: child i think encouraging a child is much like encouraging someone who wants to be an entrepreneur you know i remember one time Mm -hmm. my kid had an intense fear of going down a slide Mm -hmm. and so i put him up on the slide and i say listen I'm going to have my hand on your belly and you can slide down this slide and daddy's got you. And I got him to do that. And then eventually I got it to do it where I pretty much just had like a finger on him. And then eventually I got him to do it where I was just sort of standing there. And then I got him to do it all on his own where I was standing 10 feet away. And now the kid is like a maniac. He'll probably zip line if you gave him a chance. Yeah. The point is, that if you allow someone to try something and they know there's a little bit of a safety net there, it gives them an opportunity to realize that the fall isn't as long as they thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And one thing I try to do with entrepreneurs is I say, listen, I get it. It's friggin' scary, man. I get it. So I'm going to support you and I'm going to give you the ability to do this with somebody who is kind of there in case you fall. And really, in reality, we're, we're not going to catch you you're just going to realize that you don't need to be caught
0: right right and that's that's
1: because most people most people don't realize how much they can do instead they focus on this idea that they can't do it Mm -hmm. but in reality if they just got that out of their head they can do a lot more than they think they can
0: i have i have a a theory on on part of the reason that that people think that way and When we first started doing this with, you know, being a dad, I'm like, okay, what are, what are the things that I want to teach him how to talk to himself so that he programs his own mind and he builds his own belief systems that way. And it's a pretty common thing that if a child is not allowed to do something, he's told, oh, no, you can't do that. And I, my wife and I agreed, we're never going to tell him he can't do something. We'll tell him it's not allowed. We'll tell him we don't want you to do that. We'll tell him not to do it, but we'll never say you can't do that as a way of saying it's not allowed. And it was interesting because when he was probably three years old, he he did something. I don't remember what it was. we were around um, my wife's family, grandparents, aunts and uncles and all that. And he did something that he wasn't supposed to do. And a relative said, no, 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 you can't do that. And he said, and he had already done it. He did it. And then he was told you can't do that as a, as a way of like, um, that's not allowed. And he said, but I already did. And I'm like, that's my son. You're telling him he can't do something that he's already done. And I'm like, how many hundreds of thousands of times do kids hear? You can't do that. You can't do that growing up. And the effects. Well, of you know why, you
1: know, you know why they hear that. That's just how things were done back in the day. Sure. And so it's for, for, for years, it's, it's completely like, Put it this way, I don't like to tell my kid he can't do something. Yes, my father said that, his father said that, his father said that, because that's just what was done. But as you grow in this world, you discover new and better ways of doing things. Similar to like in the UFC, when UFC first came out, these guys were like, not that great of fighters, right? But now they've adapted their training and their methods Mm -hmm. so much that these guys are they're all even a a 15th ranked guy is super good sure you know a a guy who's not even ranked today would smash a champion from 20 years ago because the game has evolved and i think some parents today we are evolving with the game and so what i try to do with my son is if i instead of saying no you can't do that i say hey do you think it's a good idea to do this do you think if you do this what do you think will happen Oh, well, then this will happen. Do you want that to happen? No, I don't. And I let him come to the conclusion on his own that, nope, that's not the right thing to do. And I just feel that's a much more effective way of oh, getting but- your kid not to do something and saying, don't do that.
0: Yeah. I, I think that because I said so is like the laziest cop out. I never thought about why this is the way that I'm doing things approach. It's it's just lazy, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you totally on that. And, and there, there are a number of other phrases that we don't use. I don't tell my son to be careful, ever. Um, because if I tell him, be careful, what I'm really saying is, I don't trust your judgment, there's danger ahead, and you're not equipped to handle it. What I will tell him instead is, hey, be aware that if you go out, that if you grab that tree limb, it's, it's rotten and it might break. Or, hey, you're up there, what's your plan for getting down? and and encouraging him to be aware of his surroundings and also like think through what are the possibilities and i'm like hey are you aware that your two-year-old cousin is standing right over there and um um you could hit him if you swing that stick around so yeah very very similar approach i Um,
1: completely i completely agree
0: (laughs) Yeah. um so This is the point where I want to move. I appreciate you being on the show. This is the point where I want to move into rapid fire questions. If you, if you've got a couple minutes and um, we'll just, we'll just do this. I'll fire them off and uh, whatever comes to mind, you answer it. We'll move on to the next one. All right. All right. What's one useless talent that you have?
1: Oh my God. I don't know. I I try not to make anything I do useless. Um, Oh man.
0: That should be easy. Um, it's something that you don't do anymore because it's useless, even though you're good at it.
1: <laughs> oh God. Oh, that's a great question. I don't even know how to answer that. Uh useless talent. Ooh. Man, I'd have to dig in the archives for that. I I try to discard that from my memory banks and then click right-click, you know, empty trash. Okay, empty trash. trash. All well. right. All I right. would say um Dude, I don't even know if I have an answer for that. That's I cool. I don't think I. Yeah, I mean, I think I discard anything that's not useful so much that I can't even remember it. Um, yeah, I don't know. All right, we'll move um, on. I mean, I might have lit. I might have lit my farts on fire when I was a kid a couple times. I don't. I mean, that's. <laughs> that's I, I, I don't yeah. know. The only yeah, use in that is useless. it's
0: entertaining. Yeah. Um. All right. Share your best. Yeah. Dad. See,
1: it has the utility.
0: Yeah. Your best dad joke.
1: My best dad joke. Um, Okay, so there's a family. You have Mr. Bigger, you have Mrs. Bigger, and you have the baby. Who's bigger? Mr. Bigger, Mrs. Bigger, or the baby? All of them. No. The baby, because he's a little bigger.
0: Oh, that's good. I like that one. I like that one. (laughs) I I got one for you. You can throw in Bruce today. Knock, knock.
1: Okay. Who's there? I eat mop. I eat mop. Who? (laughs) Oh, nice. That's a good one.
0: That's a good. Um, all right. How about a personal mantra or belief that you want to make sure that you pass on to your son?
1: Um, I'll probably pass this on to him when he's a little older, but effort is irrelevant. Only output matters. Um, that's something I'll teach him when he's older, because I think when you're young, it's better to encourage effort, let that become a foundation and then switch it to effort. Doesn't really matter. It's all about your output. So you can't hang on your effort. You have to like, realize like, Oh, what really mattered is, did I get the result? Right. And it's, it's sort of like, like jujitsu, Right. And I learned this years ago was when you are a white belt in jujitsu, you learn all these fundamentals. You learn these 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 guard passes and you learn these techniques and you learn all this stuff that will work on a white or blue belt or a normal person. But as soon as you start hitting purple, brown, and especially black belt, none of that stuff works anymore. Like some of it does, but you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna do certain things to another. If you're a black belt, it's very rare that you're gonna get certain techniques over on another black belt because at that level that's they just know how to shut it down so you sort of have to like relearn how to grapple because now you're dealing with a whole different class of competitor and it's a whole different strategy and approach and so when when you think about effort i think in the beginning you should learn to be rewarded for your effort because there is neuroscience, Andrew Huberman talks about this, there's neuro neuroscience to support that when a child uh, is rewarded for their effort, they end up being more successful in life. However, and maybe I would disagree with him on this, I believe at a certain point, uh, that needs to be flipped completely 180 degrees around to listen. It's all about output, right? And I think when you make that switch, you realize the concept of leverage and efficiency, because now you start thinking, okay, how can I get a, a, the same or better of a result with less work, with less moving parts, with less effort so that I can scale, so that I can step away and your brain starts working differently. So in that same respect as my journey in jujitsu, I think encouraging effort first and then turning it around and just basically shitting on it after that mm-hmm. is the way to go.
0: Well, you have to learn how to give effort before you can can learn how to scale effort back and be efficient with effort. So that makes a lot yeah. of
1: sense. It's just I know way too many people who focus on their effort. They say, Well, I work so hard. I deserve I, I remember I had this this uh this friend one time and I I tried to give her advice, right? And she was the type of person who would go out and she'd work her butt off. She'd get this a little bit of money, because you know, people that work hard, they generally don't make the most money. And she would go out and go to the bar, get her nails done, go to the salon on go on and she'd be left with nothing. And I was like, why don't you not do that? Save that money up, invest it, or maybe take that time to read books and learn how you can, you know, learn a skill and mm-hmm. and excel and make more money and, and further your life and she's like well i work hard if i don't, if i can't spend all this money at the salon and go to this club and do all this then what am i working for and i said you're working for the ability to not have to work that's what you're working for but right. if every time you get momentum you piss that momentum away at the bar you're never ever ever you're always going to be working paycheck to paycheck and she just didn't you know she didn't get it and most most of us who don't who aren't awake uh, we live in this. We live in this machine, in this matrix that's, hey, I work hard, therefore that means I must spend my money to reward myself. Whereas the way I think about it is, hey, I work hard, I've accumulated this money, now I'm going to take this money and I'm going to leverage it so that I don't have to work as hard to make the same amount of money. That's how I think. And that's how most successful people think. And that's how I was taught to think by successful people. And I believe that's why I and others, that, that, that's I believe when we become successful and we begin to think like that.
0: I agree completely. Um, Speaking of others, what is your favorite business book that comes to mind off the top of your head?
1: Oh, man, I'll tell you. I'm going to grab it for you right now. Okay. My favorite business book? is this one. And this book is a $2,000 book. It costs $2,000 and it's worth it because it's the best book I have ever read for business. And full disclosure, I did not pay $2,000 for this book. I was given this book for free by uh, Russell Brunson and Dan Kennedy's team. And then I took this book and I leveraged it so well that they actually asked me to speak and hold a three day event for them selling this book. And I believed in this book so much that I said, I'll bet you I can sell at least 120 uh, or I, I can sell at least a hundred copies of this book at $2,000. And then we ended up selling like 125. Um, and, and, for,
0: and for the people who are only listening on the podcast, that don't see the video. What is the title of the book?
1: So the title of the book is magnetic story selling by Dan Kennedy and Russell Brunson but I'm going to be honest with you I don't like the title of the book and here's why it makes it sound like it's a book about how to tell really cool stories when in reality everything you need to know about this book um or everything you need to know about branding about how to influence about how to know exactly what to say to grow your brand grow your business online like it's all the fundamentals are all here like there's no step by step email swipe here it's right. the fundamentals that will teach you i mean i don't care if you're writing an email you're you're speaking on stage you're doing social media content the depth of knowledge in this book is worth way more than $2000 and you know i just it's my favorite book i i reference it constantly because it's everything you know dan kennedy's one of the if he's the GOAT. Not The pioneer in in direct – he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time in direct response marketing. And so this book – I've read his other books, but they don't even compare to this book. This book is actually a cleaned-up transcription of multiple seminars he held years ago that cost $10,000, to attend. And Russell cleaned all of them up, put them in this huge, massive book. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's stuff in here that, like oh, – I mean, I don't – I don't even know what to say. Like, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, I, there's a, um, a free, uh, that event that I hosted, yeah. I taught a lot of concepts from this book. And if you go to write, dan.com, you can actually watch that event for free. You don't have to buy the book, but I teach a lot of stuff in this. And if you go to writelikedan.com dot com, you can watch that event for free. And it's, it's, oh my God, it's, if you want to, create influence persuasion grow your business it's the best possible thing you can watch
0: and that's right like dan.com very cool um what yeah. is your, moving on to the next uh rapid fire what's your favorite parenting book
1: um it's i forget what it's called uh it's by a navy seal um it's a green book by a Navy SEAL on parenting, and I don't remember. And I re- I remember I read a passage from the book where. And look, the best book on parenting I've ever read had a section where it talked about how, the father, took his son's PlayStation and threw it, in the pool and made him fish it out. And at first glance, you might think, oh my God, that's horrible, but when you read that story in the book, and you read the circumstances surrounding it and why he did it, it makes so much sense. And this is coming from a Navy SEAL who knows how to lead a team. And he took those same leadership lessons and applied it to his son. And he's crushing it as a parent. Uh, The book is called raising men the book is called raising men and if you're a father uh I highly recommend you read this book and if you're a mother I highly recommend you you um you probably don't read the book because you won't like it uh it's I think it's for it's for definitely a, a book for men and fathers
0: okay um David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar for our next question,
1: ew, gross, neither, neither, neither. Why are you giving me this this feminine hair rock? No,
0: no, dude, it's Van Halen. It's not feminine I mean, hair I, rock. The correct answer is Ed. No,
1: I don't. No. Listen, bro. If you look like a chick when you're playing guitar, I'm not interested. Unless you're Def Leppard, uh, my guilty pleasure. But other than that, I was, I was, I was, I just wasn't into that feminine rock. I went like to me the the long hair. I I like guys. I just wasn't into it, man. I like like Metallica and um, I never liked Nirvana, but I liked all the other bands that were like Nirvana, which is kind of odd, you know. I like Stone yeah. Temple Pilots. I like Tool and Deftones. I like manly rock, Van Halen, and all that stuff. Great guitar player, all that, but just just too feminine for me, man. I just mm-hmm. just too feminine. Teach to their own.
0: Okay. Um, what is your favorite Pantera album and why is it vulgar display of power?
1: <laughs> well, come on. That's an, e- of course, of course it is. Of course it is. Right. But um, why? I mean, Pantera. Well, look, I mean, you know, Pantera was one of those b- bands that was a mold breaker, you know, and they changed the industry and, What I appreciate about that album was, is, yeah, you could pick a lot of different songs and a lot of different work from them, but I like to pick the one that made the, made the statement, you know, and that's the one that made the statement.
0: And finally, um, what is the most valuable piece? Just like
1: with Tool, like if you ask a Tool fan and they say 10,000 days, okay. But really what was it? It was Undertow. Undertow was what really changed the game, you know? So Though I think I think I think production wise, the best produced album from a sound design perspective is probably ten thousand days.
0: and then final question, most valuable piece of advice you've ever received.
1: I've received a lot of valuable pieces of advice. Um, here's what it is. Most people who are successful and then lose it all figure out a way to make money, and then they do something else. Cool. That is the most powerful. And and every time I have lost money in my life, it's because I've done something other than the thing that I'm really good at that makes me a lot of money.
0: Very good. All right, Dan, I well, appreciate we boor- you. Being- we get bored. Yeah. I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, we get bored. And, and
1: and entrepreneurship is not about entertaining you. Entrepreneurship is about making money, making an impact. It's not there to entertain you. Buy a buy a dog, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good advice. So most valuable piece of advice you've ever received is buy a dog. Got it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Dan, I appreciate you being on. I know you got to bounce. And um, that's all we got for today. If anybody wants to find you, where is it? Get
1: Get clients.com. Uh you'll love my YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com slash Dan Henry. And I'm also pretty active on Instagram at Dan Henry. Um I look forward to connecting with you.
0: All right, cool, man. I appreciate you being on. Guys, have a great day.